Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus? We're going to start reading at chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. The sermon this morning is about the three suppers. The Lord's Supper being the first one, and the Last Supper being the one that Christ celebrated with the apostles in the upper room, and then, of course, the third one is the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate today. In order to understand that First Supper and see it in its fullness, we we'll want to go back to Exodus chapter 4, starting at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And then turn a couple of chapters ahead to Exodus chapter 11. You know the, all the events in between there. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. God says, all right, I'm going to send a plague. And that first plague is that the whole Nile River, the source of all their nutrients, turns to blood. All the fish die. They can't use it for drinking. Horrible situation. Pharaoh says, nope won't let you go. And then God sends eight more plagues, and they're all listed there in those intervening chapters. And then God finally says, all right, I warned you. I'm going to give one more plague. And that's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. 
from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel, and all these servants, these your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And then drop down to chapter 12. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. <clears throat> they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That day, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to God in prayer. Shall we pray? 
Dear Lord, we come to thee in this morning hour of this thy Sabbath day, thankful for this opportunity to open your word and hear your word expounded. We pray that thou be with Dr. DeYoung, give him the words to say through the help of thy Holy Spirit, so that we may understand and express this to whoever we come in contact, and may you understand that we are Christians by our words and our deeds. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Quite often, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, as something in isolation, something all by itself. I think that's a mistake. We often refer to our Reformed faith as an historical redemptive theology. There is an historical progression throughout Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. There is also a very historical character to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. I wanted to go back there and start at Exodus 4.23 because God very specifically warns Pharaoh and saying, I'm going to give you a number of opportunities to let my people go, but I'm warning you. If none of this works, if you continue to harden your heart, I will kill every firstborn in every household throughout the land of Egypt. That ought to get his attention. But it doesn't seem to. So God goes through that whole process of giving those nine plagues, and each one of those had to be extremely miserable that once it's flies and then it's hail and then it's gnats and then it's darkness uh, and the interesting thing the fantastic thing is that none of this affects the Israelites God is so powerful he can send darkness on the Egyptian village and light on the Israelite village he can send flies to the Egyptians and no flies the God is just demonstrating his power left and right. But Pharaoh keeps saying, no, no. God says, all right. I warned you. Moses, about midnight, on a specific day, I am going to go through all the Egyptian households, all the Egyptian villages and cities, and I'm going to kill the firstborn child, whether that's a girl, whether that's a boy, man or a woman. And I'm also going to kill the firstborn of their cattle. There is going to be death throughout the whole land of Egypt. If you are getting into numbers and you say, how many deaths were there? Well, the Israelites, we know, had about two million people. The Egyptians had to be far more than that. So you could have had deaths in the tens of thousands, maybe even the hundreds of thousands, but every home throughout the whole land of Egypt, there's death. And it all happens at precisely midnight, just as God said. And you may ask yourself, how is that possible? Did God have a thousand angels to send out through all the villages? No. 
God says very specifically, I, I will do it. I will bring judgment on all of those unrepentant sinners. And that is a truly amazing thing. In order to do that in every village and every town, the person doing it has to be omniscient. He has to know where everyone lives, which one is the firstborn. He has to be omnipotent so that he can do it instantaneously across the land. But when I read this passage, the one thing that struck me, had never seen it before, not a dog shall growl. The nature of dogs, especially if you've had dachshunds or schnauzers, the nature of dogs is to bark or growl when somebody is disturbing him. All of this disturbance going on, cattle dying, people dying. And not a single dog in all of Egypt either barks or growls. Some translations use the word barks. The ESV that I read uses growls. And you say, how, how can that be? Who is controlling the voice boxes and the moods of all these dogs? God is. The God that we worship is so incredibly awesome, so incredibly powerful. We have to just stand back and think, Getting ready for that first Passover requires some specific instructions. God comes to Moses and Aaron and says, all right, go to all the people and tell them exactly how I want this final plague to occur. <clears throat> Take the month that you're in right now and rename it, label it the first month on your calendar. It's definitely different than the Egyptian calendar, different than the Aramaic. You have your own calendar month, and this is your January. This is your first month. And you wait until the 10th day of that month. And then you go out into your herd, and you go through there, and you pick out the very best lamb that you have. One year old, has to be a male, it may not have any blemishes. It may not have a crooked leg or crooked tail. It may not have any sore spots. It has to be a perfect lamb. Make sure. And when you get that perfect lamb, and if you don't have sheep, a goat will work too. But again, the same standards apply. Pick that lamb or that goat. Take it home to your home and construct some kind of pen, keep it close to your house for four days. And let your kids play with it. In fact, they'll probably want to feed it and they'll probably want to take care of it and become a friend. For four days, you keep that little lamb right there close by your family. But then on the 14th day, right at twilight, you take that lamb in front of the whole family, you take a good sharp knife, you grab that lamb, 
by the scruff of its neck and you slit its throat. It's going to bleed like, but get a pan or a basin and you catch all of that blood in that pan. Then you take some hyssop and you take that blood and you go up the door frame of your house and you go over the top all the way and then you go down the bottom and the other side and you make sure that that blood isn't spilt but just set it aside. And then make sure that your whole family stays inside because anybody who goes out of the house is going to die. The only way you can live is to be covered by that blood. Can you imagine what the children are doing and saying? Say, Dad, that was my favorite lamb. I, I really loved that little lamb. It was so soft and gentle, and I could feed it every morning. And, and the teenagers probably saying, Dad, that doesn't fit our agenda. How in the world is that blood over that doorpost and our sitting inside, how is that going to get us out of slavery? That makes no sense whatsoever. You put blood on the doorpost and then we all go free? Yeah. That's exactly exactly what happens right near midnight all across the country all across the land there's death every family has somebody die might be the oldest son might be the oldest daughter might be somebody that you love deeply there's death and even the oldest cow in the herd dies. Even the oldest animal dies. There's panic in the land. And you would think all the dogs would be up and barking. <laughs> Not one. The dogs throughout the land of Egypt are mum. And you know the rest of the story. Pharaoh finally says, get out. Get out as fast as you can go. And they do. That's why they had to have their sandals on. That's why they had to have their walking stick handy. That's why they had to have their loins girded up. That's why they had to have all that jewelry. Not leaving empty-handed. The Egyptians owed you a lot of money. Take it and run. That's the first supper. And God had commanded Moses and the Israelites, you celebrate that Passover every year, and you do it exactly as I've commanded you. It's a very important feast. And if you understand it correctly, there's tremendous meaning, there's tremendous significance in that feast. And then you follow the, the Israelites going through the wilderness for 40 years. Guess what they did? They forgot. They ignored it. And then later on, God says, I'm sending you into captivity. You're going to Babylon for 70 years. 
And guess what they did a good part of that time? They forgot. They ignored it. We get to that part of Persia where Esther and Mordecai are the rulers, the ones with the power. And uh, does Esther say, oh, we ought to celebrate the... No, no, no. In that secular culture, they say, let's celebrate the Feast of Purim. Wrong choice. When the Jews finally get back to Jerusalem, they again celebrate the Passover. There's about 400 years where we don't have much knowledge of them. But we know that when Christ comes and walks on the earth, Passover is being celebrated in the synagogues in Jerusalem. And Jesus and the apostles are part of that. So we get to the second part of my sermon, which is the Last Supper. There is a lamb. If you read the passage from Luke, which I'll go to right now, go with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and we'll start reading there at verse 7. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. 
but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Jesus had made it very plain to his apostles that he had to go to Jerusalem and that he had to die. If you read through the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke especially, you're going to find that a number of times Jesus takes time and says to his apostles, I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to go there to be killed. And I will be raised again. Didn't understand it. Didn't get a clue. <coughs> Excuse me. Peter, at one point, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him and really scolds him. That, Don't you understand? They're going to kill you? That's why we can't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand at all the work of God. You don't understand why I'm here. Peter, you didn't get the connection between the Passover and me. I am the Lamb of God. This will be the last time we celebrate the Passover. No more Passovers after this. The Jews, of course, kept on doing it because they wouldn't accept Christ. But the Christian church says, wait a minute, that is the Last Supper. Because now Jesus takes that bread and that wine and tells them, this is my body. And he takes the, the wine and he says, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. When you eat this supper, remember what it's really all about. Apostles just didn't seem to get it. They just didn't seem to make the connection. Today, we have the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And I'll ask the elders if they would come up and join me at this time. Down through the ages, after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, the early Christian church celebrated this Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. But there was oftentimes tremendous confusion as to what it meant. What's the meaning of this? How do we understand it? And early on, there were leaders in the Roman Catholic Church in the Eastern Orthodox Church that said, hmm, Jesus said, this is my body, therefore, this piece of bread becomes the body of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? 
Well, they concluded that when the priest consecrated that bread, that bread suddenly became transformed and it was no longer bread. That was actually the body of Jesus Christ. If you're going to eat the body, you better be very careful that you don't drop it on the floor, you don't step on it. Uh, why don't I, as the priest, simply put a wafer on your tongue and then nobody will drop it and nobody will... It's called transubstantiation. St. Augustine, around 400, said, uh, 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 something is wrong here. That is not what Christ meant when he instituted the Lord's Supper. But the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, persisted. That actually becomes the body and this becomes the blood of Jesus Christ. Now there's a problem. Mosaic law is very specific. You may not drink blood. If you drink blood, you're breaking Mosaic law, which comes from God. Um, I won't. We'll just let the priest take a sip. Move ahead to 1500 and something, and Martin Luther comes and says, you know what? The Catholic Church is wrong. Transubstantiation is not what God meant. There, there's something about the bread and the wine, though, that is very significant, something tremendously substantial. Uh, Luther concluded, Jesus Christ is alongside of, with the bread and the wine when we take it. What's the word for with? Con. Consubstantiation. Consubstantiation means that this remains bread and that remains wine, but Jesus Christ is alongside of it. So when we take the bread, we are actually taking in Jesus Christ. John Calvin, Luther, Swingley said, oh, Martin, Martin, please. That's not what Jesus meant. You can't justify that from Scripture. Well, but there was that statement, you know, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, that's not the way you are to interpret it. So there was a big debate between Lutherans and Calvinists. And they finally met at the Diet of Augsburg. We've got to thrash this out. The Christian church ought to be in agreement as to this important sacrament. And they couldn't. Luther's spokesman wouldn't back down. Calvin's spokesman wouldn't back down either. So you get a Reformed perspective, you get a Lutheran perspective, and you get a Roman Catholic perspective. What do you and I, as Reformed believers, understand by this? First of all, this is a sacrament. It's not a secularment. It's a sacra, meaning this is sacred. This is something that Jesus Christ himself instituted for the church. It's called a sacrament. What's the difference between a sacrament and the word? Well, the word you can only hear. 
the sacrament, you can see, you can touch it, you can taste it, you can feel it. It's multiple dimensions. But this is also a means of grace. This is one of the ways that God conveys to us his grace and his mercy. He does it through his word. That's the first and foremost means of grace. But the sacraments, both the Lord's Supper and baptism, are means by which God conveys to us, teaches us about the importance of his death. But it's also a memorial. This is a memorial feast. In the reading that I did, if you want to go from Luke, there is a classic line that you must not ignore. This do in remembrance of me. As we gather here today and as we partake of this sacrament, you and I are called to reflect, to call to mind those important truths, that important event there on the cross where Christ shed his blood where his body was broken in multiple places and blood oozed out because he did it to give us life, to save us from our sins.